Welcome to Marvin Methodist Church's Sanctuary Service, brought to you from our beautiful historic sanctuary in downtown Tyler. My name is Doug Baker, and I'm the lead pastor. We're currently in a sermon series entitled Jesus in the Wilderness. I hope this Lenten message blesses you. Let's join in as the message is already underway. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions for all with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What is exactly this bunker gear? Protective boots, fire retardant pants and jacket, a hood and helmet, a protective mask, a self-contained breathing apparatus and gloves. That's the bunker gear. That's the turnout gear for all firefighters arriving on the scene of a fire or an accident. Wearing full bunker gear probably protected the life of Ron Davidson from injury. He approached a car at the scene of an accident with spontaneous explosion with fire and metal and glass flying in his direction. If it wasn't for the bunker gear, his life may have been jeopardized. After reading this story, I reached out to Terry Hawkins I said to him, when do you put on the bunker gear and when is it okay to all clear, take the bunker gear off? And he shared with me that when they approach a structure, a fire, a house fire, or an alarm to such, and he told me at that time that 90% of the alarm calls that they respond to are false alarms. You know what I'm talking about. You have a fire alarm maybe in your home or in your office building and it malfunctions either electronically, some dust gets in the, sky, in the air and it sets it off and, and uh, all of a sudden the fire department is there in full bunker gear. He shared with me that at a fire he responded to here in Tyler, they approached the building. There was no sign of smoke. There was no fire that was seen, but to the protocol, they wore the bunker gear into the building They went through the first floor, checking offices, checking closets, mechanical rooms, onto the second floor, through the stairwells. And then finally, when they got to the third floor, it was when they opened the door of a mechanical room, they found the fire and the smoke. That's why bunker gear matters. And even though it may only be 90% of the time that you don't need it, but that 10% of the time, it is important. And I don't know about you, and if you've heard like I have heard and read about anxiety and the things that get us anxious, only about 8% of the things that we are anxious about actually happen. The other 92% are really false alarms, but we get anxious anyway. But friends, we never know when something will be a real crisis, do we? Or when it will be a false alarm. 
but we are to wear God's bunker gear through life every day. We're supposed to armor up with the armor of God, according to Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Jesus was suited up when he went into the wilderness to face the devil. He had the word of God in his heart. He was assured of who he was after his baptism and God's declaration that he was God's son. We've talked about that, and we knew that he had not only the word of God in his heart, he was able to take that stand because of his clear mission, his clear identity. And friends, we need to be prepared. We cannot lose sight of our true identity in Christ, and we can keep the word of God in our hearts prepared so that whatever we are encountering, we will not be at danger should the crisis come. Before we explore the various elements of God's turnout gear, I want us to look at verse 10 real quickly if your Bibles are still open. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We've talked about last week about verses that are worth memorizing. I think there's one you could add to your list. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The Greek word there is endumoneo which the in before the dumaneo means to intensify. And so it is this intense power that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He'll use this word in duoneomai six times in the New Testament. There is it, the word is only found seven times. So we know it is one of Paul's favorite words. But as in the Greek language, you parse out the verb and its tenses, you'll find the bit continually present passive tense, also an imperative. What does that mean? It means God's power is continually present. It is passive on our part because it's not anything we can muster up for ourselves. And lastly, we must also remember it's an imperative. You cannot do this job of life by yourself without the Lord's help. Be strong because God has empowered you to face the current challenge you are facing. You're not to claim the victim's role. You're not to say, I can't do this, though oftentimes I'll admit I may be tempted to say that myself and often do. We, when the day of evil comes, are to stand our ground. And after you've done everything to stand, you are to stand firm knowing that the armor of God is on you. Viktor Frankl Austrian psychiatrist, survivor of the Holocaust. He lost his possessions. He lost all his clothing. He even lost his name. He became known as prisoner 119104. He also at the death camp that he was at, lost his mother. He lost his brother to death and also his wife. We can't imagine the anguish and the sorrow and the grief in his life. But in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he writes these words. Everything can be taken from a person, but one thing, the last of all human freedoms, the one opportunity you have to choose your attitude no matter what the circumstances. That is your freedom. That is your choice. And borrowing this idea from Frankel, we are to choose in the difficult moments to put on the armor of God and to remember that God is with us with intense power made possible by the Lord alone. 
pastor and director of Learning Communities for Seedbed, which by the way, Seedbed is the new publishing house for the Global Methodist Church. He inspired our Lenten sermon series, Jesus in the Wilderness. But Dan talks about a time in his life where he went through a difficult season. Three weeks of insomnia, inability to sleep. He found his life falling apart. He found himself angry and bitter towards God. And during one difficult night in which he was trying to sleep but couldn't sleep, he was literally screaming into his pillow wondering if he must call his wife and wake her up so that she could take him to the hospital. Let me tell you, if I was screaming in my pillow, my light uh, sleeper Gina, she would have known. But he was screaming into his pillow and Psalm 119 verse 50 came to his mind and this is what entered his mind. Your word gives me life. Your word gives me life. In his own words, he says this. He entered in then to a time of peace that steadied him. In those moments, the enemy had almost convinced me that I would lose my grip on reality, that my life and my relationships were about ready to fall apart. My answers, my emotionally fragmented uh, life and the source of the answers that I was searching even though they were very positive quotes from inspired authors, all fell flat. But the word of God is what held the power. That intense power of God found in his word. In Dunomeo, Catherine Marshall, well-known inspirational author of another uh, generation, wrote more than 30 books selling over 16 million copies. You know, may know Catherine Marshall's name, a great contributor. Her second husband was a member uh, of the staff of the Guideposts, but her first husband was Peter Marshall, who was a great Presbyterian pastor and chaplain of the Senate. But she faced adversity in her life when her husband, Peter, died at age 46, and she was uh, had to raise their nine-year-old son by herself. Later in life, she went on through this season of months of depression and darkness that she described. She lost not one, but two grandchildren to death. It was the second grandchild's death that drove her into a spiritual black hole, she had prayed for her grandchild. She had pleaded for God to heal her. And when the healing didn't come and the child died, the dark clouds rolled in and they stayed for six months. Her testimony, when life hands up situations we cannot understand, we have one of two choices. We can wallow in misery, separated from God, or we can call out to God, I need you, and your presence in my life is more than I need the understanding of these events. I choose you, Lord. Our first person who went through crisis was redirected by the word of God. In this case, Catherine is redirected by crying out and gut-wrenching prayer to the Lord where she declares, I choose you, God, over understanding this mess. Catherine Marshall chose the Lord. And then pastor of Passion Church, still preaching today and writing books, Louis Giglio, felt attacked in person. Uh, 
uh, misrepresented, abandoned, and wounded. He shot off a text message to a close friend and colleague, hoping that he would commiserate him, give him words of soothing and comfort, maybe even validate that he was right in his words. What a text it was. A lengthy masterpiece of angst and vindication. And he waited patiently for the reply of his Christian brother on the other end. And then the reply finally came. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Oh, my goodness. And then Giglio would write a book by that title. You can get it at a bookstore or on Amazon. But friends, what is the reference there? Psalm 23. The Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. And in that moment, he realized that whether it was the flesh and blood of the dark, dark rulers, authorities and powers of the forces of evil, whatever it was, it was time to take a stand because the good shepherd is with you through the valley. The good shepherd walks with you through the journey. A good shepherd will not abandon the sheep even though the evil presence of a, another animal is there to harm them. That's the role of the good shepherd, to protect, to care, to feed the lambs. It's our job as a sheep to simply stay close to the loving shepherd. Giglio was reminded of 1 Peter 5.8. Be on alert, be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Giglio, in the book by that title, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, states that one of the devil's tactics is to prowl around your life. But you can't stop him from doing that, but you can exercise your ability to what? Deny him a seat at your table. Don't just stand there listening to the enemy's deceitful schemes. Don't listen to the negative self-talk of others. It's time to get into the scripture. It's time to have those gut-riching prayers. It's time to allow friends to speak into your life rather than just say, oh man, I'm sorry you're going through a tough time. Or maybe give a concerned look uh, emoji. No, how about the friend who gave the courage answer, uh, courageous answer, don't give the enemy a place at your table. The enemy is crafty. And we read that uh, as Jacob read from Genesis 3, the familiar story of temptation of Adam and Eve. And don't you love it? Doesn't it just seem like a, an echo when we've been studying Jesus in the wilderness? And what does the devil say? If you are the son of God, why don't you use your powers to do something miraculous for yourself? And what does the devil, the deceitful one, say to Adam and Eve? Did God really say you must not eat of the, the fruit in the garden. Now let's give Eve some credit here. She listened. She paid attention to the Lord when he gave the, the commandment. She corrected the devil who, by the way, misquoted scripture, misquoted the word of God. She corrects him to saying, God did say that we are not to eat of the fruit in the middle of the garden. Unless we touch it, we will die. You won't die, the devil says. God doesn't want you to, to be like him. What is the enemy doing here? 
He's trying to get Adam and Eve to doubt what? That God is good. And that God wants to give us all things. And there are certain things that God can say no to. These things are not good for you. Stay away from them for our goodness. But the enemy wants you to think that God is holding out on you. The enemy wants you to think about the one thing that you are not to have that he is going to convince you you have to have. And the most important thing here, this friends, he wants you to believe that God is not good. What is wrong in our country today? A lot of people think that God is not good and the church is not good. And that just opens up the enemy's playground to be deceiving, to give half-truths and to lead us astray. I love what Pastor Mark Batterson did. He got even greater insight into the story about the devil who wants to make what? Obedience harder than it really is. He points out there are thousands of trees in that garden for which that Adam and Eve could have eaten from, but the devil wants them to focus on the one thing that they can't have. And friends, that's where it gets problematic. Don't you just wish that Eve had said, you know, there's plenty of trees here. I don't have to eat of that one. That's what the Lord told us to stay away from. But no, she stays in the game. She continues to listen to the half arguments, the half truths, and Mark Batterson takes the story one step further in his book, Play the Man. He brings the spotlight in on Adam. And he reminds us that the choice to eat the fruit was not a unilateral decision. It was a mutual decision. Adam and Eve are standing there together in the garden. Eve is not by herself. The scripture reads that. Go back and look at it. Adam was right there. But instead of playing the man, Adam played possum. He should have stepped up. He should have stayed in the game, but instead he stepped back. And even worse than eating the fruit himself, he watched his wife eat the fruit, and then he ate the fruit with her. He didn't take a stand. The original sin of Adam there, he didn't put up a fight. He just sat back and did nothing. And Edmund Burke noted, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil in this world is for good, godly people to do nothing. So let's not get confused by thinking that standing around is the same as standing firm or staying strong in the Lord or staying in the armor of God. The devil's tactics are always to deceive us, to give us half-truths, to get in our minds, to twist things around, make it complicated, when actually obedience should be freeing and should be easier than we make it. What I love is C.S. Lewis's letter, the screw tape letters, the book that he had put together. And if you're not familiar with it, screw tape's an experienced devil, and he's giving counsel to Wormwood, his junior. He's trying to teach him how to trip up new Christians. And this is what he says. It's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things in their minds, devils putting things in their minds. In reality, our best work is keeping things out of their minds. Let's keep Christians busy where they don't have time to read Scripture. Let's keep Christians preoccupied where they don't have time to pray. Let's help them forget about the armor of God, that it's all dependent upon them, upon the outcome. And then we'll have a foot in the door. Friends, you are most vulnerable when you are by yourself. You are the weakest when you think you can do it all on your own power. 
Your strength comes from the strength of the Lord and putting on the armor of God. So let's take a quick look at the armor of God. The belt of truth is described, buckled around the waist. Having a belt did some very significant things for the one who was a soldier. They could tuck in their, their, uh, their robe and so that they could have their legs free to move. And also they could uh, uh, hang the sheath for the sword of the spirit, which was the Bible. And it also held the weight of the breastplate that protected their heart and vital organs. The belt of truth is connected to the word of scripture and also to the heart the breastplate of righteousness protects the vital organs in battle, for we know that there are, the heart is critical to our survival. And so many people go through life beat up. They have a wounded heart from childhood. They have a wounded heart from a life disappointment. Somewhere along the line, their heart has got wounded, and they need the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. From 1 Corinthians 1.30, Jesus not only is our wisdom of God, he is our righteousness, and his job is to come and dwell within the heart to bring healing and peace to the believer. Some people continue to live out the dysfunction from generation to generation. But friends, the great healer has come to set us free. Our feet are supposed to be fitted for readiness that comes from the gospel. Can you imagine a person wearing a full suit of armor but having no shoes and going into battle? I read this week that uh, for the Romans, the great success that they had and the conquering that they had was because of their shoes, that they actually had nail studs in their shoes to help give them traction. And friends, we know that this world is a slippery place. We know that the culture is oftentimes pushing the other direction in which we are trying to go. If you don't have good feet, if you don't have good traction, you'll get carried away. And we know the importance of having feet ready with the gospel. And that's where we must also uh, get better prepared to tell our faith stories and to tell God's story to other people. Do you know how to tell God's story to someone in two to three to maybe five minutes if given the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a friend or a coworker, a neighbor, someone that you might encounter? Do you know how to tell your story of how your life has been made different through Jesus Christ? We are going to work on this as a church. In the Global Methodist Church, we are to witness boldly, and we will be working on our witness and how we will be ready, prepared with feet, ready to take the gospel into the world. The shield of faith in biblical days, oblong wooden board covered with animal skin, that shield would be important to protect from the flaming arrows that would come their way. Enemies would take arrows, they'd wrap flax, soak it in pitch, set it aflame, and then launch those arrows at the soldiers as they were approaching. I read where that one soldier took almost 200 arrows out of a big shield after a battle. That is amazing. I can't even imagine that. But friends, faith is the shield we must have. And together, a collective group of shields can make a bubble of protection around for the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom. The helmet of salvation. When I think of salvation, the very important decision that you have made at some point in your life to be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 states, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess and you are saved. 
Believers should be assured of our salvation. But let us not be mistaken in thinking that eternal life is when we get, after we breathe our last and we die, we show up at heaven. And if we can say, Jesus Christ is Lord, we've given the magic expression that we get to go into heaven. That may be just a little small part of it. I love the words of Dallas Willard. Eternity is now in session. Eternity is now in session. And he builds out from John 17, 3. This is Jesus' words in his prayer for the disciples and for the church. Now this is eternal life, not the prize after you die. This is eternal life that they may know you, God, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Those are the words of Jesus that eternal life begins when you say yes to Jesus Christ as Lord and you begin to experience a new kind of life. In this life, it's not just the prize at the very end. Eternal life is knowing God, living each day with God, thinking of God regularly, praying to God, letting God speak to you through scriptures, being in a community of faith, serving God. It is a life that is centered on God. That is where life is found, my friends. And that is what we must remember. This is salvation. This is eternal life. Eternity is now in session. And friends, if we could get that in our heads, it'd be like the helmet of salvation, rightly protecting our minds that we could truly be transformed in Jesus Christ. And lastly, we can't forget the word of the Spirit. Preached a whole sermon on it last week. The it is written statements of Jesus. But I told the staff this week in staff meeting, there are seven ways you can get God's word in your life. And if you want to write these down, it'd be helpful for you. You can read the scriptures out loud or silently. You can study the scripture. That's number two. Get some commentaries. Get some, some extra voices speaking in. Get the backstory. Get some scholarly words. Parse out some words in the Greek or Hebrew. Meditate on the scripture. That's where you take a scripture like the 23rd Psalm and you say, okay, I'm not going to let the enemy be at my table. A table was a grassy area for those sheep. That's where they take them to be fed on the mountaintops. And the, and the devil or the, 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 uh, the animal that's coming to destroy might be prowling around, but the shepherd is keeping watch over me. We can pray the scriptures and one great prayer would be, God, make me strong in the Lord, for you are my mighty power. That's the scripture I gave earlier today. We can sing the scriptures. The Lord is my light and my salvation was sung beautifully by Mike Starr just a few weeks ago. We can personalize the scriptures. I, Doug Baker, can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and we can memorize the scriptures, hiding it in our hearts. Friends, we cannot forget the word of God. And let me just say this in closing. If you're not encountering scripture in these ways, then you've set down the sword of the spirit and you've picked up a pocket knife and you're trying to take on the enemy with a pocket knife. You are called to suit up with the full armor of God because you never know. Like a firefighter entering into a building, you never know. Is this going to be a major crisis? You never know if the phone call that you receive is one of terrible news that you didn't want to receive that day. 
You don't want to know if uh, you come home and your wife says, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. You've got to put on the armor of God, stay prayed up, keep your word, keep yourself in the word, and get the community of faith, and that may be counselors as well, helping you, guiding you, helping you to find the life that Jesus has for you. Firefighters, 90% of the times, right? False alarm. But that 10% of the times, they're prepared and they're protected. Friends, if there was ever a time to be strong in the Lord and put on the full armor of God, the time is now. The time is now. Thanks be to God. Amen.